You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 42. In this episode, Theodore Roosevelt gets to be president all by himself. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Jason, uh, in the last episode, we left off with the fact that McKinley, President McKinley, was assassinated. Yeah, um, pretty shocking. You know, he's relatively popular president, really he won his election, both of his elections handily, and um, some anarchist named Leon comes up and shoots him. But we we didn't really mention what happened afterwards. We all kind of know that when the president dies, the vice president takes the position, but we didn't really go into it too far. So let's do that. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, we all know him. We talked about him a couple episodes ago. He is the vice president. And he's camping out in the Adirondacks. Yeah. So there he is. He's going around upstate New York doing his thing, being the vice president. Fishing. Yeah. I I like to think when I think of Theodore Roosevelt, I think he's fishing or mm-hmm. hunting and doing that kind of thing. And uh, he makes his way over to Buffalo and is sworn in. And he's the president. Ta-da. He uh, serves, you know, every every president kind of uh, wants to do a lot of good stuff. And, and every president who gets to be president after the assassination of another president kind of has a hard time of getting anything done because nobody really respects them. But Teddy, that that's not the case for Teddy. Yeah, and and that whole thing of legacy, you know, you, you kind of are living out the dead president's legacy in a way. So he keeps the cabinet. Mm -hmm. He keeps McKinley's cabinet and he's running a pretty good, pretty good gig. Yeah. There are a few people out there who don't like him. Um, We have this movement by, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but they basically want rid of, of Roosevelt. They nominate, conservative senator mark Hanna of ohio you remember him from the 1900 election and right. actually the first election that mckinley was uh uh victorious was 1896 uh Hanna was he was the he man was, he was one of the nominees for sure yeah he was like the spend doctor behind right. the fundraising for uh mckinley right and, and roosevelt was actually thought to be more of more eccentric or i guess more um more liberal i guess you could say 
And so there's this other branch of the Republican Party that wants it to stay more conservative and wants it to, you know, still stay true to the roots that McKinley had had continued on with this new kind of realignment of everything. And so they're going along, they're trucking along, saying, "Yep, Mark Hanna, he's going to be, uh, he's going to be our man. We're going to run him against Roosevelt." And then um, in February of 1904. A little while before the election, he dies. Uh, Why does everybody die? I, I guess a, everybody dies in general. But you I know mean, we I mean. could we could wax on for a while. Why does everybody die? That's true. We could probably start a new podcast about that. Yeah, but the good senator Hannah, the fundraising Hannah, the conservative Hannah. Is gone. There are no obstacles. I mean, the skids are greased, and Roosevelt is nominated. Uh, the speech person who <laughs> the speech person <laughs> Roosevelt's nomination speech uh, was actually delivered by uh, Frank Black uh, from New York, and uh, was seconded by Senator um, Beveridge of Indiana. And uh, keep in mind, so New York. There were some obstacles in winning over the Republican establishment in New York because if you remember way back when, like 1896 when, Roosevelt was the governor um, of New York and the Republican establishment really didn't care too much for Theodore. They saw him as progressive, like Ben was talking about, and they were looking for a really good way of getting him kicked out of the state yeah. politics. Yeah. They actually kind of offered him up as vice president in order to get him out of the governorship. Um, they, you know, they just kind of pushed and pushed to get him elected because they weren't really wanting him on the local scene so much. Yeah. And Roosevelt really wasn't keen on being vice president, but. He's a statesman, you know. He's looking. He's looking to do the right thing. I, I like to think that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it was um, a power grab for him at all. Uh, although that monocle makes him look a little bit, uh, a little bit, what's the word? Evil sometimes. But anyway, I digress. Well, the stash really makes up for it. That's it's true. almost like business yeah. <laughs> on the upper hemisphere of his face uh -huh. and party. On the lower. But anyway, I, man, I really digressed, didn't I? Yeah. So, <laughs> so in order to compromise, because Roosevelt was seen as a radical, uh, the Republicans and, he, and he's young too. He, I think he was the, he's the youngest president, maybe still to date, that we've ever actually had. Yeah, he's like, well, he's 42 when he became president, I think. Yep. So he's like 45 ish. Right. At this point. So yeah, good point, Ben. And so, I mean, I guess my point with that is Republicans then and Republicans now are really similar in a lot of ways in that um, young people aren't – it's it's a lot of older generation keeping with the traditional values kind of party, and there's just a lot of angst there. Yeah. So um, in order to alleviate some of that angst, they – nominate uh, the good Senator Charles W. Fairbanks from Indiana. He was pretty uh, pretty much the poster child of what a conservative Republican would be. And Roosevelt 
wasn't too pleased with that idea. He really wanted Robert hit from Illinois. Um, but he was like, you know what? Uh, this isn't even worth the fight. So, um, Fairbanks is the vice presidential nominee. And that really makes everybody in Chicago who's Republican at the convention happy. <laughs> yeah, uh, 100% uh, unanimous vote. 994 ballots for each of them. Theodore Roosevelt, Charles W. Fairbanks, there is your Republican ticket for 1904. So, across the aisle. Uh-oh, these guys are not not as well put together. <laughs> so, if you remember... Uh, we've got William Jennings Bryan, who was like three years old. I feel like I've never when even he heard first of him. ran for president. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so William Jennings Bryan, uh, he, you know, he's still he's still eloquent and has this huge platform and following. And then you even have Grover Cleveland, and they're like, uh, uh-uh, uh, yeah, not gonna do it. Guys, will you run? Well, no, because you haven't been able to elect me. Uh, William Jennings Bryan says for the last thirteen hundred years. <laughs> I'm not going to subject myself to all this scrutiny again. Yeah, so Alton B. Parker. Why is the B so hard to say with Parker? I guess you got to have that, like, uh, plosives together. We could call him ABP. Yeah, that's ABP. Yeah. Ooh, that's hard. Well, he's from New York, and he emerges as the front runner. Yeah, he's the chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals. And the funny thing is that, I mean, we know New York's a little bit finicky, but... The Democrats, I'm sorry, New York in 1904. I wouldn't say that about New York no, now. No, no. Uh, but the Democrats and the Republicans both really respect, uh, the, um, you know, the, the position he has as well as the man himself. And they actually, the Republicans, you know, remember, he's a Democrat. The Republicans decided a few times we're actually just not going to run anyone against him because we don't think he's that bad of a guy. And, Parker just is like, you know, I, I'm not really going to seek this out. I don't really care, <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Right. But at the same time, like, you know, if if you're uh, if you're going to do that, that's cool. Uh, I'm good with that. Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, Parker was actually, I'm sorry, A B P. Boy, that's really. I'm just going to call him Parker. Parker, yeah. Okay, so um, Parker was. A gold Democrat. Uh huh. Get that. Because remember, William James Bryan, very much a silver guy. Right. And the gold Democrats went off and did their own thing. Parker is all about the gold. William Jennings Bryan is like, you're a tool of Wall Street, dude. Right. <laughs> yeah, he actually said that. I mean, he, he called him out and said he was an idiot. He shouldn't be nominated. No self-respecting Democrat would vote for him or should vote for him. And, like, to me, um, it's kind of funny because Parker is willing to nominate and and support Brian. And then a few years later, they're like, all right, uh, Brian, we just figure you're going to run again because you have so many times. And Brian's like, no. And they're like, okay, we'll pick Parker. That's cool. And Brian's like, I'm jealous. That's almost what it feels like. Yeah, it's like, and this wouldn't happen in our family then, but it's like you're, you got this awkward thing going on around the family table at Thanksgiving, and there's just this underlying rivalry thing, and people aren't getting along at the ta- at the dinner table. That's right. Somebody's wanting to, uh, you know, 
I was going to say pea and the cranberries, <laughs> but I won't say pea and the cranberries because yeah. we're a family podcast. That's right? right. So Brian is like, hey, Francis Cockrell, I'm going to support you. And there. <laughs> and he folds his arms and says, I, mm. got you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what that does is, is Francis Cockrell being nominated it actually kind of scares the conservative Democrats, and so they're really super into Parker then, and they really want Parker to get nominated on the first ballot, and so they do roll call, and he misses it by nine votes to get the two-thirds majority. He doesn't quite make it out, but somehow, before the result could even be announced, like they, they had the, they had, the numbers came out the way they came out, but... 21 votes were transferred to Parker. And so then Parker's like, all right, got the two-thirds. I'm good to go. Yeah, and Parker kind of throws his judgeship, yeah. <laughs> some <laughs> of the weight behind his judgeship um, into play because he's like, any scheme that Brian and his cohorts are up to, I declared unconstitutional. Yeah. And... Parker really gets active and he's like, okay, um, I like gold. And there's people in the Democratic Party who are like, let's not even talk about gold. Yeah. Let's not even talk about metal. Yeah. Metal bad. Uh, Parker good. And Parker's <laughs> like, gold good. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> as soon as he gets nominated and he knows he wins the nomination, he just kind of like, he he know he knows that uh the democratic platform doesn't really talk about the monetary issue and at this point it's almost like he's a closeted gold supporter mm-hmm. and so after he gets nominated but before they nominate the vice president he pretty much jumps up and says well actually he wrote a letter but says i regard the gold standard as firmly and irrevocably established and shall act accordingly if the action of the convention today shall be ratified by the people and goes on to say that I just feel like everybody should know what I'm all about. They should know I prefer gold over silver. And if you guys don't like it, just decline the nomination so that somebody else can be nominated before this thing turns into a whole fiasco. Hey, I really like this Alton guy. Yeah. I mean, he's standing up for what he believes in. That's right. He's like, if you don't like this, if you don't like me, then forget it. So, it's kind of funny because Justin, what the last uh, several years they had the oldest ticket, uh-huh. and um, it was one of the minor parties. But they're like, "Hey, Senator Davis from West Virginia, Henry, mm-hmm. you're 80. Yeah, come be the vice president." Oh, well, okay. He he's the he's the oldest dude. Uh, for a major party, at least, ever nominated for a national office, which is saying something. Yeah, and this is totally a crazy West Virginia thing. And, hey, West Virginia people, I don't mean to pick on you very much, but it's kind of important, and I do harp on you a lot, but it's important that West Virginia did become a state. And it is important that the Republicans were so much for having... um, those electoral votes and so on and having Virginia which was strongly Democrat and West Virginia dealing with the Republicans several times at this point 
Davis is from West Virginia. And it's very possible that people are going to be like, he's an awesome senator. We really like him. Oh, he's a Democrat? No big deal. We're going to vote Democrat this time instead of Republican. So there's kind of this uh, this other party. Oh, yeah? yeah. The Socialist Party? No. No. I know. That's weird. Um, they're, they're still around. Uh, the, the Socialist Party is like election of, eight, of 1904. It's weird to say 1904. I, I, I know. 1804. Um, yeah, we're going to participate this time. So uh, since we have su- such a, a strong out base of people who are all over the place, we're, you know, lots of different factions and sects of the party, we'll probably do really, really good, right? Uh, no. No. Probably not. No. Anytime you have a party that wants to kind of rewrite, not just the rules, but rewrite the government, uh, it it doesn't go over very well. Doesn't pan out super super well. That's for sure. No. So, so Jason, do you want to talk about how the whole uh, the whole election campaigning stuff went? Can we? Well, can we? Maybe we, we should take a short break first. Okay. Hey Ben. Um. Yeah, Jason. I love podcasting me too dude and i love chinese food (laughs) i also love chinese food sometimes though (laughs) eating chinese food every single day gets to be a little cumbersome and i keep on having to buy new belts yeah i do not want to subject anyone else to having to do that and since we all know that the only reason anyone eats chinese food other than how tasty it is uh, is to get their fortune because that's really the best way to get your fortune. Yeah, because you need to know what's up ahead for you, right? Right, and I got to get my lucky numbers and learn how to say potato in Chinese every day. Yes. <laughs> Since we don't want you to have to be subjected to that, we decided to start a new podcast. We're going to launch on January first, twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. That's your lucky number. Uh huh. Write it down. <laughs> Just in case you forget, it's next year. So if you want to sign up for alerts on the fortune cookie podcast visit our brand new landing page website which is cookiepodcast.com we'll let you know when we launch it's going to be a daily podcast under five minutes giving you your fortune and our take on that fortune every day catch us on twitter and instagram at cookie podcast Okay, Jason, now you can talk about that uh, that campaigning stuff. Oh, good. Okay, so it's 1904, and we've got this really popular guy who became president as a result of the assassination of McKinley. Right. Theodore yep. Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Don't call him Teddy. He hates that. He hates it. Yes. So, and he's a radical. Let's not forget that. Right. But, but with all that radicalness going on, it was pretty subdued. I mean, yeah. it's like... Really, the Parker Roosevelt—they're actually kind of similar. Yeah, it's kind of funny because the the radicals in the Democratic Party—they're like Parker; <laughs> he's a conservative. We're not going to vote for him. And then uh, you know the conservatives in the Republican Party—they're like Roosevelt. I mean Teddy. <laughs> Ooh, he's a radical. We're not going to uh... vote for him. No Theodore from those people. So both men were for the gold standard. 
and the Republicans were very staunchly against imperialism. Uh-huh. And Theodore was about the same. Um, they both believed in fair treatment for the Filipinos. Uh, they e- eventually wanted to say, okay, Philippines, you're on your own. Let's liberate them. <laughs> Let's just, liberate them. I just thought that if somebody didn't listen to a few episodes ago where we talked about the Philippines and you know the everything, it was just like, why Why were they just in favor of the Filipinos? That's kind of weird. But anyway, I yeah. digress. Right. And, and both were very supportive of labor unions. Right. And really, labor unions back then were not as, how do we say, wasn't as politically charged in the way it is now. It was, but it wasn't. Right. And there is a little bit of scuffle and kind of scandal that happens with money being traded around and... They're all like, yeah, well, these people contributed, but they didn't blackmail us, of course. And so it's kind of kind of strange that they're both getting insider money and and kind of feels dirty in some ways. But both candidates still kind of come out looking clean. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that we don't see in our day that happens very often. Absolutely. And, you know, if there is any iota of mistakes, missteps, accidents, outright flagrant wrongdoing. (laughs) Um, As long as you own up to it, people are going to receive it pretty well. And Roosevelt was very transparent about saying, okay, yeah, there might've been some things that happened that weren't good. And um, I fess up to it. I'll take, I'll take responsibility. Right. So Theodore Roosevelt wins in a landslide victory. Pretty much every northern state and every western state, which keep in mind all the western states are kind of north, but you get what I mean. He takes them all. And really, Missouri even goes even goes for Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because, I mean, my goodness, Missouri was very much aligned with the South up until this point. And, you know, even today, I don't think of Missouri necessarily as a southern state. Right. But prior to this election, really, Missouri was considered solid South. Right. Hey, if, uh, well, we'll get into this here in a minute, but um, the the map, the way it looks. I'm a map, I'm a map, I'm a map. <laughs> If you have a minute, <laughs> if you don't forget, go and look up um, 1904 election map and just check it out because with the exception of a few counties that are kind of grayish looking uh, and maybe light blue, like the whole northern part of the country is just red and the whole southern part, with the exception of a few counties here and there, is just blue. It's just a crazy kind of mix of or crazy kind of divide of exactly where everybody stands. Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, the one state that really sticks out in the South as just being, like, totally blue is South Carolina. Right. Like, it's so apparent. It's like a smurf. Yeah. I mean, like, the people of South Carolina are very much independent, and they're like, we don't care what the rest of the country is doing. Right. (laughs) We we are who we are, and we are solid Democrats. So uh, it it is fascinating to look through those and, yeah, take Ben up on his challenge. Look him up. Look him up on the the, the old Google. Hey, Jason, something interesting in this election, and probably many others, uh, the ballots, they were able to, um, well, the people who voted on the ballots, they could vote for up to eight candidates of any party. And... It's just kind of a strange 
a strange thing that would happen. Like, here's the nominee. Most people are probably going to vote for them, but you can still vote for up to eight people. Right. Yeah, we've talked about that just a little bit, how the polling was a lot different back then than it is today. And, um, you know, just a few episodes ago, we were talking about how that concept of a secret ballot was really a novel idea. Uh, Of course, that was from the Australians, but we're going to take credit for it. So it's called the Massachusetts ballot. Sure. And we have had several people write in and say, well, how were the ballots cast back in the olden days? And that is a really fascinating question. And there's, it's not as simple as, oh, yeah, they went to a polling place or they went to the church or the school and, and cast their ballot. It didn't work, always work that way. So it's a little more complex of an issue that we do plan on investigating and might very well end up being a topic after we run through the elections. Right, absolutely. Um, so Roosevelt, he he just carries the whole thing pretty much. He takes, oh man, he wins by over two and a half million votes. Two and a half million. And, and that's like a lot. Yeah, it's like 56% of the population. And when you consider that you had the socialists and you had a few other parties that were also running, um, that's a pretty high number. And so for the electoral vote, Roosevelt gets about 71.5% of the electoral vote. Parker gets a little less than 30%. So I think we can say landslide on this one, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's, I guess it looks like uh, Teddy Roosevelt and Charles Fairbanks. Woohoo! I wonder what he's going to do. I have a feeling he's going to do a lot of stuff with parks and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ben. Yeah? Are you planning on doing any holiday shopping this year? I certainly plan on it. Um, I like to leave the house as little as possible, though. Yeah, and not that you're a hermit or anything like that, but it is a whole lot easier to hop on Amazon and do your shopping there. And I know for us, we love to support election college when we shop on Amazon. It doesn't cost us anything extra, and it won't cost you anything extra either. If you go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon, you'll be taken to Amazon just as if you would have had you done otherwise, (laughs) and it helps support the podcast. That's right. Don't even think about it. Just do it. And also, while you're just doing it, Go ahead and leave us a, a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We like to see things like that uh, coming through, that you like the show. Uh, if you hate the show, why are you listening? But, uh, you know, just go ahead and leave us a good five-star review and, and some star rating and, you know, electioncollege.com slash review. Yeah. And leave us a comment also on our Twitter on our Facebook, on our Instagram. We're at Election College on all of those. And don't forget to connect with us over at our new website, cookiepodcast.com, where you can sign up for email alerts. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Cookie Podcast. We're everywhere, man. We are. All right. Well, I think that's everything for about four years. So we'll see you next week. Take care.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.